Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects. Got a fun one for you today. Hopped on with Millard Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks. Wanted to talk about the Dalton Varsho for Gabriel Moreno trade. What does this change for Diamondbacks and for Jays outfield prospects? Uh, what does this tell us about each team's contention window? And what's the philosophy behind deciding to trade a top 10 overall prospect? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, let's talk about this Dalton Varsho for Gabriel Moreno trade. I wanted some help, wanted to break it down. So this is a crossover between Locked On MLB Prospects. Obviously, I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby. And Miller Thomas of Locked On Diamondbacks. You know, I've always been a big Diamondbacks fan. And uh, specifically, Dalton Varsho has been my guy. Uh, Had him in fantasy, won the league. I put those two things together and say that's why. But the entire trade breaks late last week. Uh, The Blue Jays get Dalton Varsho. That's it. Arizona gets catcher Gabriel Moreno, one of the top 10 prospects in baseball, one of the top two catching prospects in baseball and outfielder Lords Goriel Jr. Uh, what was You sent me a DM soon after it happened. What was your first reaction when you saw the trade announced? Trade announced. I, I'm going to be honest. When I first saw the deal, I wasn't entirely too happy because my whole belief this offseason was the D-backs were going to field offers. They were going to ask for ridiculously high prices for their outfielders. But I think at the end of the day, I just thought they were going to play the market, see what's out there, ask for the world, but ultimately do another season where we see what we have from these outfielders and try to do another year of internal progression. But when I saw the deal come through the ticker, the Jeff Passan bomb, I I was shook because Dalton Varsho has been a fan favorite in the D-backs community. This is someone that we've seen growing up through the minor league system, a catcher with 30-30 potential, not too many of them out there, and then he makes it to the major league level. First couple years starts a little slow, but this past season, he really broke out in a big way, 27 home runs, 16 stolen bases, arguably the best defensive outfielder in baseball, 26 years old, and when I saw him get traded to the Blue Jays, For a prospect, Gabriel Moreno, when I first saw that, I was like, I don't like the idea of trading a quality, established, ascending young outfielder for a roll of the dice because that's why I need to talk to you, Lindsay. I didn't know much about Moreno, but a couple of days later, sitting a little bit longer with my emotions, calming down a little bit, I'm like, okay, this could be a win-win deal for everyone because Varsha's very good, still very young, but Moreno does seem to have the ceiling of maybe a really high-impact offensive catcher with all-star level ability, and we got back Lords Goriel back in the deal, who's a quality, can play all-around, super utility guy, a right-handed bat that the D-backs desperately needed. So initially, I hated the deal because I never liked trading a young ascending player that's established for a roll-of-the-dice prospect. Mm -hmm. But considering Moreno is like a blue-chip prospect, he's not like your Jeter Downs, your 60th best prospect, you know, in all of baseball. This is a blue-chip prospect with a high floor, high ceiling, and you get another quality starter in Goriel. This could potentially be a win-win trade for everyone. Yeah, and that's kind of the reaction that I had too. I was I was surprised when I first heard this, the combination of names. I expected because we all knew the plan was the Diamondbacks are going to trade an outfielder because you had a bunch of left-handed hitting outfielders who were arguably could all play center field. 
you have more outfielders behind them and I'll get to them kind of in a minute, but it was something where like you had to do that and you had to find a right-handed bat to put in the infield. That was kind of the story. Uh, and I, I'll, I'm guilty. I kind of forgot that the catcher is still part of the infield. And so I was expecting to trade for a third baseman. I was expecting, you know, something like that. And then this comes out of nowhere and it just, it blew my mind. But I, you, you touched on this, uh, about Dalton Varsho being one of the best defensive catchers in baseball. I want to something I've seen on the internet recently on Twitter in the aftermath of the trade was people talking about Dalton Varsho didn't catch a game after June and using it mm -hmm. as some sort of indictment on his ability. So defensively at like as a catcher, 82 games in his major league career, 31 last year as a catcher, uh, 988 fielding percentage, 30% caught stealing rate. So above average at catching base stealers. It's just, he's such a good outfielder that they don't, like they feel like it's a waste of his athletic ability to use him behind the plate. Uh, you mentioned one of the best de defensive outfielders in baseball last, last year, 99th percentile and outs above average, 97th percentile in outfield jump, which is, you know, the, the, the reaction in the reads routes reactions we always talk about for outfielders and a 91% success rate. When he went to get a ball, 91% of the time he was getting the ball, which is one of the highest success rates in all of baseball. So depending on the, the, the measurement, the best defensive outfielder in baseball, and he only played 114 games in the outfield. So like that's, that's what moved and that's what went to Toronto. But what you're getting back, I think, like this is a classic baseball trade, right? You trade it from a position of strength to another team from mm -hmm. their position of strength. So Gabriel Moreno, 2016 IFA, and I'd probably give his hit tool about a 70 grade. I mean, absolute stud. When you look at what he did last year, 62 games in the minors, uh, 25 games in the bigs. And I know small sample, but hear me out here. 62 games in the minors, 315, 386, 420 in AAA. Three home runs, 19 extra base hits, 24 walks to 45 strikeouts. In the big leagues, 319. So his batting average goes up in the big league sample. On base of 356, slugging of 377. Uh, one home run, two extra base hits, four walks to eight strikeouts. Uh, I think the ultimate question as to does Gabriel Moreno only contend for all-star games or does he contend for MVPs comes into where does the power come in? But he is a, a, a elite hitter, elite contact ability. Uh, and, and that is something that, that I think he could, he could give you 15, 20 home runs if you wanted it, but it's so valuable to have a catcher who can bat over 300 at the major league level that, you know, and has the athleticism to be a plus defender behind the plate with a plus arm. And if you asked him to, he can play second base or third base. Like there's a lot of usefulness, lots of versatility here. Yeah, that's really interesting because Varsho was like a pretty solid defensive catcher. That definitely wasn't his strength, but he was so good defensively in the mm -hmm. outfield. You mentioned all those numbers, even the counting numbers. If you just look at defensive run saves, stuff like that, like he spent half the time of a Mookie Betts in the right field, but 
had the same, if not better, numbers across the board defensively. So you had to keep him out there for longer because what he could do for you in the outfield, combined with the Corbin Carrolls and the Alec Thompsons out there, it was like a vacuum as the D-backs defense. But like you said, it was a position of strength because now the D-backs are going to put a little bit more pressure on the Jig McCarthy's of the world to prove that 2022 wasn't a fluke and that was repeatable. You're going to put a little bit more pressure on Alec Thomas to hopefully progress because he wasn't exactly stellar at the plate last year, so you're going to give him a little bit more rope to progress. Corbin Carroll is, of course, going to get all the rope in the world next year, so you're going to give your three young outfielders a little bit more rope, a little bit more leash next year. You're going to put Goriel maybe at your DH spot or playing in the outfield depending on the platoon guy, and then really for Carson Kelly now, it's like you're going to be the backup catcher for the D-backs. Moreno is going to be most likely the full-time starting catcher for the D-backs next season. So now it's like Carson Kelly's that backup. What do you do with him? Maybe you trade him for prospects or relievers down the line. But this D-backs lineup now is probably a little bit more balanced, probably a little bit deeper as well. And for Moreno, like, what what's his like player comp right now because I was trying to look at catchers in baseball over the last 10 years of what his ceiling could be like is it like a JT Romuto who's like a pretty good offensive catcher but maybe has more pop than Moreno is like a Joe Mauer like getting too zesty because Joe Mauer is basically a Hall of Fame player but when you looked at his power numbers he only had like one season with like more than like 12 home runs Joe Mauer is mostly like slugging with doubles and getting on base and hitting a high average but he wasn't exactly like a power dude so What's like Moreno's comp? What's his ceiling? I think the real Muto comparison is a very good one. Somebody who athletically in, in the short sample that he was up last year, you know, in, in those 25 games at the big league level, backing up those two great catchers for Toronto, uh, his sprint speed was right around 51st percentile. So he is above average speed as a catcher. And, you know, and with the athleticism to play multiple positions, and I feel like, again, given the athleticism, given the skill, he can do something similar to Real Muto where he can catch, he can realistically catch five days a week. It's not something where you have to have a 1A and a 1B and those guys kind of take turns. He can be your starting catcher five of the six games a week, you know, one day off, unless for some reason you specifically want to work Carson Kelly in more. Uh, I do think you do have more of a power ceiling with Real Muto than you do with Moreno, but at the same time, Moreno is going to have the better batting average. Uh, he's very good at at picking up spin. He's very good at at hitting balls to the opposite field using the whole plate. It's the the only thing you don't necessarily see is the fly balls and the ridiculous exit below. And I think part of that is he has a very specific two strike approach where. He, he, he just, in essence, refuses to strike out. He's like, I would rather punch this ball into the gap and get a single than go for extra bases or a home run and strike out. And so, you know, but he also has the speed where he can steal bases, seven to eight in AAA Buffalo last year. So gives you just a lot of the ability to do, I mean, to do lots of different things, whether it's Kelly starting and him filling in at third base or first base, uh, obviously him DHing, you can DH Kelly a bit. And then Guriel is the rope that you talked about for these young outfielders. Uh, you have uh, Corbin Carroll, we expect to be rookie of the year, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. Jake McCarthy looked good last year. We're looking to see if he can repeat that or not. But then Lords Guriel gives you, you have a one year of him. Uh, he gives you consistency and veteran experience. Uh, not a ton of power in that profile, 
his slugging peaked at like 541 in 2019, and last year it was right around 400. But another high batting average guy batted 291 last year, and and plenty of extra base hits, and so and flexibility for first base as well. If for some reason Christian Walker misses time, so. I understand the trade, and I do think Moreno is, if you're going to lose a guy to the caliber of Dalton Varsho, a top 10 prospect in baseball who can be your catcher for the next six years without a doubt, like no no questions that he can do it, is a pretty good return. Well, it sounds like the D-backs are going to have the rookie of the year in 2023. And for fans, the best place to place your bet for D-backs rookie of the year for 2023, where is it, Lindsay? Bet online. BetOnline.net right. is your number one source for betting info, stats, news, and analysis. You can get the latest odds and trends for every professional amateur league out there. The NFL, we just saw them play over Christmas weekend. Uh, we have teams who are in the playoffs, teams who are officially out of the playoffs. College bowl season, hot and heavy. We're heading up to New Year's this week, and you get the 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 playoff games there. Um, basketball, NBA, college basketball is hot right now. So they got everything at betaline.net. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting info. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action because Bet Online is where the game starts. Beautiful. Okay, so the question that I want to ask you, Millard, as the resident Diamondbacks guy, when I look at at this roster now, and I look at the prospects who played in the outfield last year and everything that you did, uh, Lourdes Guriel feels like he's going to be your left fielder and or play some DH. Uh, you've got Corbin Carroll, you've got Jake McCarthy, you've got Alec Thomas, and then behind them, you have some prospects who are getting closer to being ready. Is there more moves to come? Is there, an, is, is there another outfielder that gets moved, or do you think you stand pat with these three knowing that you only have Gurriel for a year. Yeah, I would like to think the D-backs are standing pat with the outfielders. I know there's some in the D-backs Twitter community that thinks that there's another move coming, but I don't know. I mean, I didn't think this Varsha move was going to happen this offseason. I thought they were just going to make phone calls, but ultimately just um, not pull any triggers. So I don't know, but I want to say my belief with the D-backs is they're not going to make any moves because I do think they want to see an outfield of McCarthy, Thomas, and Corbin Carroll for another season. Gurriel can play DH. The D-backs also did trade for the 2020 American League Rookie of the Year and Kyle Lewis over the offseason as well. So he's going to get some playing time at DH as well. I don't expect him to play too much outfield, but with Gurriel being able to play all over, like I know he hasn't really played the infield since 2019, but he has had time at like shortstop and second base in the past as well. So the Nick Ahmeds and the Perdomos of the world, they're not exactly like offensive superstars. So if the D-backs ever want to do, you know, a couple games where there's a lefty on the mound, maybe put Gurriel at shortstop and really increase the offensive ceiling for your production that day. I think that'd be pretty interesting, but I think the D-backs can stand pat with the outfielders that they have right now. I think with the DH, they have more than enough spots for everyone to get their opportunities, but over the next couple years, if Drew Jones is really that guy, and maybe because I'll ask you when his ETA is, because once he starts getting ready, and once he's getting ready to be called up, that's when the D-back, <clears throat> that's when the D-backs will have to make another decision on these outfielders, because they've been so loaded at that position, but it seems like Corbin Carroll... 
untouchable. He's the one guy that you don't have to worry about. Um, Drew Jones still a couple years away, so it will come down to a Jake McCarthy and Alec Thomas or maybe any of these other young prospect outfielders that they have, like the Dominic Canzones and the Dominic Fletchers of the world. But I think for at least— Lots of Dominics. Yeah, a lot of Dominics. But I think for at least next season— I in in my perfect world, the D backs are staying pat and we're seeing what we get from Alec Thomas, a Jake McCarthy, and Corbin Carroll, and then deciding which one of those are real foundational pieces for the future. Yeah, and when I from a thing, you know, the thousand foot view here, when I look at this, it really feels like Lord's Guriel was an insurance policy. Lord's Guriel mm-hmm. was a, you know, we 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 traded for Kyle Lewis, we brought in Lord's Guriel because there were times when we were counting on all of the kids at the same time. We were counting on Alec Thomas. We were counting on uh, Jake McCarthy. We were counting on Dalton Varsho, counting on Corbin Carroll. And if somebody slumps, if somebody's struggling, you've got veteran options. You've got guys who have a track record, with the exception of Kyle Lewis's injury-riddled 2022, uh, have a track record of success that you can count on. And so the idea now is, you know, one year of Lords Guriel in a perfect world, you don't need him a ton because Thomas has stepped up offensively at the plate and can handle it. But you've got some different options. And then getting to some of those prospects, uh, the thing that I noticed about um, Dominic Canzone is he's he spent time both at first base and at left field. And so he's another guy in the similar vein of Lords Guriel, played a bunch of first base, played a fun- bunch of left field, but can slot into that role if you choose not to re-sign Lords Goriel, or could be somebody, I do think there's a possibility if everybody's doing well, you flip Lords Goriel at the deadline. Something where if if your young players are picking up, if Kyle Lewis is back to hitting like he knew we could, he's not going to play a ton of the outfield, his knees are not that great, but it does feel like Lords Goriel is the insurance policy. We want to play the kids if we can. We have him here. We can always move him at the deadline if we don't need him if we don't need him. Yeah, and also it's like Kento Marte over the last couple of years, like he's just kind of been dealing with injuries and his production has always seemed better whenever he's just been like a full-time DH. So maybe that's something the D-backs explore more in the future with Gurriel because he does have some infield um, capabilities, maybe do a little bit more Rojas, Gurriel up the middle, give Marte a little bit more days off, let him play DH so he can rest that body. So I think Uriel is going to give the D-backs a lot of options. But do you look at any of those young outfielders that are not the McCarthys or the Thompsons that are already on the major league level, like the Canzones and the Fletchers? Do you see any of them as, like, realistic, like, MLB pieces? Like, do you actually see those guys as potential options on, like, a real major league team starting, making plays in the postseason? Or are those guys, like, quad A, utility guys, backup outfielders? I do think that Fletcher, so Dominic Fletcher, uh, just to in case you're confused on your Dominics, everybody, uh, yeah. 5'9", 185. He's the 2019 second round supplemental out of Arkansas, not the 2019 eighth rounder out of Ohio State. But no, um, you know, I do think Dominic Fletcher has the defensive ability where floor wise, he can be a contributor at the major league level. He can play right, left and center. Uh, Speed is only, I'd say, average to a tick above average, but he's got a good arm. And again, that defensive versatility really helps. Good good reads, good routes, good reactions. His issue has always been, one, strike zone discipline, and then two, what's the power potential? So like 101 games last year in AAA Reno, 301, 368, 452. Five home runs, but 42 extra base hits. 
and then 42 walks to 88 strikeouts, five of 11 on stolen bases. Like it's very much the definition of a guy that he's just a good baseball player. He's not amazingly overly athletic compared to a lot of the guys you see in MLB. So he's got a really high floor as a quality contact, you know, worst case fourth outfield type. So he's somebody that you could see possibly packaged in and moved, or you could see him retained as an option. If you do move Guriel, you've got Fletcher to come in. Um, You don't have the defensive replacement for anybody else that'd be on the roster if you move Guriel. But I do see Fletcher as a possible MLB piece. Uh, Canzone feels like it's very much dependent on the bat. Now, he hit last year, AAA, like 88 games, 284, 349, 489, uh, 16 home runs and 35 extra base hits. It just feels like because the the speed is below average, because the arm is a little below average, and you know he's done first base and left field and that's it, feels like he has to hit and he doesn't quite have the power profile to take the below average defense in left field. The same time playing next to Corbin Carroll can answer can, can solve a lot of defensive questions for you. So, in this configuration, I think both of them would have a shot to be big league players. But if I'm picking one, I'm probably p- picking Fletcher over Canzone because of the high floor. When I look at this Dalton Varsho deal, I think one reason why I was upset when I first initially saw it because it signaled to me that we're not trying to exactly win or compete for like a wild card spot this year or maybe even next year. The D-backs are really going to slow play this thing and let it marinate because I felt like with our current roster going to next season with the Dalton Varsho, we were like pretty close to being a fridge wild card contender. But I think the trade signified that we're okay to maybe roll it back another year. We got a little bit younger because it's hard to trade a young player like Dalton Varsho for younger players and expect to get better in the near immediate future. So I think the D-backs are kind of taking a step back and saying, you know what, let's really make sure we build this thing slowly and like have all our ducks in a row and have like a, a, a pretty young ascending player at every position around your lineup. And so now it's like they're going to have Moreno, who's 22. They got all these young outfielders. And now it's like this core is going to be so young because they currently have four of the top 20 prospects, according to like Baseball America or MLB.com mm-hmm. with the Lawler, the Drew Jones, the Corbin Carroll. The Gabriel Moreno now so they got this really young core I think Varsho trading them means they're going to stay young they're going to build this thing slowly and they want all these guys to hit the major league level around the same time and just grow organically now that means Zach Gallon, the Ketel Martes might be in their early 30s by the time this team is ready to win but how far away do we think we're from the Drew Jones and the Jordan Lawlers making a real impact on this D-back squad so Jordan Lawler, I think you'll see him sooner rather than later. And, mm-hmm. and kind of looking what he did. Uh, last year was a year, weird year, low A, high A, double A. Uh, didn't, you know, didn't necessarily do amazingly when he got to double A Amarillo. But, I mean, overall slash line for the year between those three levels, 300, 395, 508 with 16 home runs. Uh, didn't didn't have a huge strikeout issue. Did strike out more than once a game, so you don't love that. But didn't wasn't striking out because he had no clue what was going on. It was stuff you can fix. Like that's what I'm always looking for. Is he just did a did a guy just beat him, or does he have a bad approach? What's going on? And there was cases, especially when he got the double A Amarillo, he just got beat by a guy. And that's something you learn when you're exposed to that at a high level. Uh, I could see Jordan Lawler. Uh, competing for a job out of spring training in 2024. I do think there's an outside chance 
you see them call him up later this year, assuming he stays healthy and assuming everything goes well. Uh, acknowledging that would be very early. He will be 20 years old next season. Uh, but late 2023 or 2024 feels like a realistic time based on how well Jordan Lawler has performed in the minors to this point. I mean, low A Vesalia last year with the raw hide, 351, 447, 603. He killed it. Um, so like he's obviously there. They obviously did the promotion schedule trying to find his true level, right? I think they're going to send him back to double A for next season. But again, I do think you could see yeah. him by the end of the year if everything goes right. And if not, you're looking at a 24 uh, out of spring training thing. Drew Jones, a little bit farther behind. Part of that issue is he did miss. I, he did suffer that injury right after the draft. The same shoulder injury that every other first round pick you've ever had has had. <laughs> Weird thing there. Uh, but so for Drew Jones, I'm looking a little bit later. I mean, and given all the tools that he has and how good we think he's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised to see him blow through the minors. But I still think at the best case scenario, you're looking late 24 to early 2025 simply because, I mean, he is just now 18 years old. He's a baby. <laughs> yeah, these guys are so young and I'm kind of pro like. I don't want to just rush them through the system, but like if they're crushing at low way or whatever, like just promote them and see, like you said, where that true level is. Because one of my biggest issues with baseball is like you draft these guys in the first round. It's like why the MLB draft is like not that interesting because you draft these guys and then you don't see them for five or six years. Like I want to see these top players that we draft as quickly as possible on the major league level. I hate talking about them. I hate fantasizing about them. I mean, you got the whole prospect show, but for me personally, it's like I want to see these guys on the major league level so i like it when you know you see the jose fernandez's or the andrew bantendis when they're like in the minor league system for like a year and a half or less because they're so clearly gifted and good it's like let's get these guys to the major league level because that's the best place where we could develop them see what they do against actual major league starting pitching if they can hold up at a young age that's only going to you know do better for them for the rest of their career so very curious to see how quickly we see the Drew Jones and the Jordan Lawlers. Maybe Lawler at the end of next season, like you're talking about, but it really depends how well he produces in double A. But I do think he'll be in triple A at the very least by the end of next season. Then maybe gets the Alec Thomas treatment, sits out the first month of 2024 before he gets called up and then spends the rest of 2024 with the D-back. So I don't think we're too far from Jordan Lawler. Still maybe a couple years away from Drew Jones. But looking at the Zips projections, Lindsay, they just dropped. They just did the D-backs and the D-backs are going to have a lot of rookies in their starting rotation with the Dre Jamesons, the Ryan Nelsons, and then according to the Zips, the man that they love the most with like 150 projected innings, a 3.66 ERA, and supposedly going to be like the second best pitcher according to War behind Zach Allen. That is Brandon Fat. So Lindsay, what do you think about this D-backs young rotation? Can it hold up? I mean, all of them. Ryan Nelson and Dre Jameson had a cup of coffee with the D-backs last year, but it was only like 15 innings. Brandon Fat has yet to debut. Can the D-backs have like a quality rotation anchored by three rookies over the course of the year? Or do you think uh, maybe they should bring in like an extra starter, like another Zach Davies type, and maybe go with like a six-man rotation so you don't have to put this giant workload on three rookies next year? I mean, well, Part of the thing with Strom is he's a fantastic pitching coach, and if anybody can get him ready, he can. But I do think there is merit to acknowledging, hey, we've got 
three rookies that we're trying to integrate at the big league level. Maybe we're going to plan as if the window starts the next year. And if it happens early, it happens early. And so I think that these guys have the talent. Brandon Fats, a guy I've, 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 I just love to watch him when I get to see him. I mean, big body, 6'4", 230, uh, fastball. He's very aggressive with it as far as when and where he throws it. Uh, he throws both like a, a, a standard four-seam version and he'll throw like a cutter version at, at times. Uh, the slider, I love the movement and it does a good job of making the triangle, right? Having, you know, having the, the you have a vertical component and a horizontal component. Uh, if if the changeup was a little bit better, I'd feel like he could be in the top half of that rotation. I still think there's time to get mm. the changeup there, uh, but combination of weapons, I like what I watch. I like the fact Brandon Fat can throw a strike wherever he wants to. All four quadrants, especially at the fastball, uh, he knows where all those secondary pitches are going. That's not something you see a ton uh, from young pitchers is knowing where everything's going to end up. So if anybody can do it, I feel confident in Brandon Fat. I do like these young pitchers. I do think they need more experience. Uh, I do think a lot of the where the minor league affiliates are and the park factors in some of those parks, they haven't necessarily gotten yeah. a true picture of what uh, major league hitters can do to their pitches and to their mistakes. So I do think this year will be interesting as far as a development perspective. But I do love these young pitchers, especially a Brandon Fat. Yeah, and if you're talking about like minor league parks, like Reno is one of those places where, at least from the hitters' perspective, they usually have more juice stats because it's like a high altitude kind of place. So if the minor league pitchers are like struggling mm -hmm. in AAA Reno, maybe that's actually a test case to show. Maybe they're actually better than what we've seen from the underlying numbers because it's like playing in Coors Field as a minor league pitcher when you play for the Reno Aces. But from the Ryan Nelson, Dre Jameson, and Brendan Fats, do long term, do you see them all, all three as like? mid-rotation starters or do you see one of them maybe more as like a reliever being a back-end guy because listen the d-backs are still in desperate need of bullpen arms and not every young pitcher can be your next ace or your next mid-rotation starter some of these guys are gonna have to go to the bullpen and be a you know high leverage back-end arm for the d-back so of these three guys do you see any of them that stick out to you as maybe being more of a long-term option for the bullpen or are all three options realistic to be starters going forward Nelson's a guy to me that I worry may have to move to the bullpen. He's had below average control issues in his career. It cleaned up a little bit recently. He, um, he, he learned that weird hybrid circle change thing, but I still don't necessarily love anything of his outside of the fastball, the curveball, and the slider. And even those, the curveball and the slider kind of, uh, they don't look the same, but the effectiveness, he doesn't seem to control them both at the same time. He can control the curveball really well, and then he'll lose the feel for that, but he'll get the slider. And so I feel like if he focused fastball, curveball, he could be a pretty effective weapon out of the pin. The other issue you have there is he's still newer to pitching, and so he's still trying to learn more of that. I wonder if that had a component behind the delayed development of the control. But he's the one to me that I felt like, given the physical size, I mean, he's 6'4", but he's under 200 pounds. I feel like he might hold up better to an inning every couple of days than trying to throw five or six innings every five days just because of the lack of size and mass. Uh, he feels like the best bet to be a reliever of those three, but he does throw four pitches. And if he can get that change up to go a little bit better and be a little more consistent with both breaking pitches at the same time, 
he can still work out as a back of the rotation starter. Like you've got time here. That's the cool thing. Uh, they're going to try him as starting still, but I do think ultimately he probably ends up in the bullpen. Yeah, and I have to check which one, but I think Ryan Nelson's the guy who threw mostly fastballs anyway, so he probably would be the better option to be a back-end back reliever of all these three guys. But I do want to ask you a philosophical question, yeah. Lindsay, about going back to the Dalton Varsho trade. I know we just talked a lot about prospects, but I do have a philosophical question for you about the trade because I do think it was kind of weird that the D, that the Blue Jays were willing to give up like someone that's considered a blue-chip consensus top 10 prospect in all of baseball. Like I feel like a lot of those times when you see when you see someone giving up a prospect that highly regarded it's usually you're going after the Juan Soto's of the world you're going after the Mookie Betts of the world from the Blue Jays perspective is this the kind of trade that you make when you're giving up a blue chip prospect like that like I love Dalton Varsho as a D-backs fan but I guess if I'm sitting here as a Blue Jays fan I'm kind of shocked to give up a blue chip prospect for someone that hasn't yet made an all-star team yeah I think the two yeah. big factors. I think the two big the factors. Blue Jays in making this trade Blue and Marshall is one. Their outfield defense had to get better. Their outfield defense last year they had last year Ellen left. Teoscar Hernandez and right. Teoscar Hernandez and right. George Springer when everybody's right-handed hitter. And so bringing in bringing Kevin Kiermaier for center, Kevin Kiermaier for center, moving Springer to right gives you defensively a much better outfield than you had. Varshow gives you a rare left-handed bat. In a lineup full of writings, and then and uh, then Kiermaier's on a one-year deal, uh, so I think the assumption, so I think going off of no, no inside information, just, just no speculation, information, just is that Bar they're planning on Varsho for being the center fielder of the future. Once Kiermaier's out of the picture, but then also they're kind of in a window. They're going to have to make a decision on Bobichet and Vlad Guerrero soon, as far as you know, they're they're in they're they're close to arbitration or in arbitration. They're going to be contract extension soon. Contract extension soon. Matt Chapman, you're going to have to do something. Chapman, there. you're gonna have to do something uh, there. And the Yankees uh, and spent a bunch of money. Spent a bunch of money. Get that much better. The Red Sox are down. The Red Sox are down. Baltimore didn't the seem to Baltimore go for it this year, and so they kind of have identified. We have a window. We have these young players. We have these pitchers. Alex Manoa came up a lot faster than we thought he would. Faster than we thought he would. We have to make a deal to get a piece that can help our team. And Gabriel Moreno having two good catchers in front of him wasn't going to be able to have the impact. Now, and thankfully, now. they found and a guy with a couple years of control because we've seen deals where you trade a drop prospect and you get a guy for a season and, and you, you get a guy for so they have four years of our show and this is their window to try to and this is their window to try to series and four world series for them i i think it was a pretty good i think it was a pretty good available players they could have got available players they could have gotten by far found the best option found the best option with the flexibility of putting him in center so that happens again center so that happens again here meyer yeah, and it felt yeah, like it felt the D-backs like had, had options because it felt like, like every locked on host, host in our in chat, chat was going, was going after Dalton Varsho in some way. Any team that needed some offense or defense from locked on Braves to locked on Astros wanted them. Yeah, the Astros I know were big. I know Brett and H-Town, they want to bring me on a couple pods to talk about it. 
Yeah, and I don't, I, yeah, I don't and really I don't, know I, I don't anybody really else's know farm anybody system else's lined farm up system that well up that to give well you a, to a give power hit, a, a power hit, give you a right-handed, give you a right-handed fielder that could have an impact this year and have plenty of team control, like Toronto did, without having to take a gamble on somebody who hadn't debuted at all. Now, Moreno doesn't have a ton of time at the big leagues, but he has, he does have, he does have, he does have stats profile. Now you can see more about him. More about and him. so I think it was so one, of the, safer one bets of the safer you could have made for an infielder uh, that's still technically uh, a prospect, technically but, a prospect barely. but barely. Um, so, um, so in retrospect, in it retrospect, ended up being a pretty smart move pretty simply smart because move of the, simply the, because the, the options that you had versus the risk you wanted to take on with this main piece of the acquisition. Yeah, I don't know why we don't do like lateral moves in baseball. It's always trade a good player for prospects. Why not, if we were doing the Astros deal, do Varsho for like a Christian Javier or Luis Garcia? They're both around the same age. They're both good young players. Like that would have been a perfect one-for-one swap. D-backs get a young rotation guy behind Gallon. Astros get a young outfielder. I like I thought that would have been a perfect deal. Just because when I look at the Blue Jays deal, I'm like, okay, if you're giving up a top prospect to Varsho, does that mean we're underestimating Varsho as a D-backs fan? because we're getting a blue chip prospect like is, is there more to Varsha than what we've seen or the Blue Jays actually like overselling they're selling high on Gabriel Moreno um and actually we shouldn't be taking him in and we are underselling Dalton Varsha so I, I think I just think it's very curious to see um this deal but I think in the end it could be a win-win trade for both sides I think that Guriel aspect getting thrown in there because the D-backs had such a heavy load of left-handed outfielders really makes me feel better about the trade as a whole but before we go Lindsay I did want to throw one last curveball at you just talking about the offseason in general get out the prospects world was there any move that you loved is there any team that you love so far through this offseason you could give me a team or favorite move what's been your favorite thing about the offseason so far I think it's been the my favorite thing has been like how quickly relatively speaking, the top 25 free agents signed. Like as soon as the mm-hmm. first one came off the board, we started seeing everybody sign. And it's all been early in free agency. I remember years when free agency drug out into January and February, and we're getting close to spring training and guys haven't signed. Last year was weird because of the lockout. That was a hectic like 72 hours of everybody signing rapidly. But I just like how quickly everything went. I feel like at this point right now, we have a pretty good idea for the most part of what everybody's team is going to look like next year. And it gives us extra time to look and say, okay, how would my team do against this team? How would my team do against that team? And that's what I like is that we went ahead, got most of the signings done. uh, And now it's a chance for people like me who want to work on trades and prospect stuff to get to work uh, and see if you can improve on the margins. But all the big free agents are already signed early. And I like that is the stuff to talk about in November and December. Yeah, I think I've talked about that on other pods. We've seen this sprinkling of like top free agents like week by week. Hasn't been like basketball where it's like every free agent signs in like the first 48 hours, but it's like week by week you get a couple of top free agents here and there because now it's almost January and still talking about Carlos Correa and what's going on with his injury and his physical so there's been news every single week so far this MLB offseason and it's been crazy because like you said you go back to that 2019 offseason Bryce Harper Manny Machado was still like free agent until like pitchers and catchers were reporting yeah. so it's great to see these top free agents 
coming off the board early and getting paid because there was a, a little pivot point there in the MLB offseason where it's like, are we done with long-term contracts? Is no one getting a deal over seven years anymore? Now it's like, nope, nope. actually everyone's getting plus 50% on what you thought their market value was, plus an extra five years on top of that. So MLB offseason is going crazy. These contracts are going crazy. And we live in a wonderful world right now for Major League Baseball. Lindsay, I am out of questions for you today, sir. Did you have any last ones for me? Uh, just where can the people find you, hear you, support you, all that stuff? Yeah, follow me on social media at CreatorTums24 for my personal account. Type in the little search bar on both Twitter, Instagram, Locked on Dimebacks, and also do it on YouTube because we are live on there as well. Locked on Dimebacks on YouTube. And of course, we're on all your podcasting platforms. For Dimebacks fans, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Shows on Twitter at Locked on Farm. You can send in your mailbag questions, Locked on uh, Locked in movie prospects at gmail.com. We do those mailbags every single Monday. Uh, until next time, have a good holiday weekend. Guys.